Jim Gentilly. Welcome to the podcast, Two Guys in Search of an Argument. I am here with no guests this week, and but my podcast co-hosts and friends, John Heinz from Shanghai, China. Hi, Jim. Hi, John. And Peggy Bennett, marooned in Grand Rapids, Michigan. With her dog. Hi. With Hi. her dog, her faithful dog, Wonder Boy. And uh, I have no idea. What's your dog's name again? His name is Leo. Leo. Okay. Named after DiCaprio, no, no less. Because if you listen to our last podcast, we had that fabulous young actor, Frankie Wagner. And this podcast, for the third time in a row, we're talking movies because this is our Oscar preview, post-view, whatever you want to call it. This podcast will drop on March 1, which is three days before the telecast of the 90th Academy Awards ceremony. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Academy Awards and how we feel about it. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about predicting the outcomes of the Academy Awards and things like that. So, John Heinz, tell us your general thing. Do you watch the Academy Awards? I try to watch the Academy Awards. The best year I had was when I watched it at Stephen Daldry's apartment in Manhattan. Stephen Daldry, the director of... Uh, the Hours. Uh, and Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot. Uh, and most recently, didn't he do most recently He's an executive producer the Crown. The Crown I think, he's an executive I think. producer. Which, again, what does executive producer mean? It means just money? Or does that mean he okay, did something? Okay, this is another show. We're going to do this because executive producer can mean a lot of things. But It's also another show because why isn't he a guest on our show if you watched it at his apartment? And I don't think I knew you watched it at his apartment. Because John probably got thrown out of his apartment for making a no, pass at Steve. Yeah, why no, he was dating him? a he was dating a friend of a friend, and I went with the friend. So it was basically four degrees of separation between me and him. But I ended up going to I watched the watched the Academy Awards the year that he was nominated. So what year would that have been? Well, he was nominated for two thousand two, so that would have been in the spring of two thousand three. Okay, and uh, other he than was that, not at the Academy Awards, he was watching it in New York and not at the ceremony. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. So maybe it wasn't that. The best year you watched it was at Tom's place when we had a big pool and everybody came on a Sunday night. I mean, when is the last? I can't get anybody to do anything on a Sunday night. I there would we come all were. to your house on Sunday night to watch the Oscars, but I'm going to New York to watch it with my children. Well, let me, th- let me throw out. Th- Peggy, let me ask you this. Did we throw balled up socks at the television for things we didn't like during the Academy Awards? I don't think so. I remember people being balled up. I remember um, Holly being balled, balled up, up in a ball. <laughs> yeah, we didn't throw anything at the TV, but we had a pool that involved money. And um, as opposed people to stayed water. And people drank and people stayed. And it was fun. You were all younger then. That's possibly one of the reasons. Uh, yeah. We weren't that sure. much younger. John? You lived in L.A. over 20 years ago. Oh, no, ago. the L- L.A. Was, was a long was time ago. Week. L.A. was a long time ago. Right. I, last time I was in L.A., the thing I recalled was I, I immediately noticed was just the the, wide, the significantly widened highways, <laughs> freeways, from the last time I was there. So significantly it felt more, more crowded. young men. Yes. It was nice. Um, I'd, actually like to, I'd, li- I'd actually like to think a little bit more about this and try to think, was this pre- or post fire. 
Oh, you mean the fire at John and Tom's? Place. Yeah, I, I'm thinking it was. Just so the podcast becomes as solipsistic as possible, now we are really talking about events. Yeah, I'm trying to think. And a very few people in. have any idea what we're talking about. Well, so I this have watched the. So let me just the while Peggy Awards, while Peggy seeks to figure that out. I think it was in the back out, apartment. While I Peggy, think it was in Tom's back apartment. Okay. While Peggy tries to figure this out, I we I will say that I have watched the Academy Awards many times. However, I have missed several, and I've mainly missed them because I'm in weird time zones like I am now because I don't even know what time it goes on. But I know that I was watching. I flipped on and watched uh, the State of the Union address or part of it like at, I don't know, like in the middle of the day at work. Wednesday morning. Right. So it was a, it was, it was a very – so I know yeah. it will be off. So if there's a live broadcast of it in China, it will be Monday morning. So ergo the problem, I'll be at work. But the um uh but I do like to watch the Academy Awards. There are some Awards. people I know that would skip work to watch the Academy Awards, but some people have that option. Peg, you do you normally you normally watch them as well, right? Or are you still trying I to usually, figure out what year? Yeah, I usually watch a portion of them, not the entire thing. I do some taping and then or you know whatever DVRing is and then I fast forward. But yeah, I watch them. I tune in. So can I tell you guys, can I bore you briefly with a little story, which is that the first time I ever watched the Oscars was 50 years ago in 1968. I was 11 years old, and I first that was the very first time I ever watched the Oscars. And uh, that was the films of 1967 for the 1968 Oscars. And that, as it turned out, was like this – this uh, incredible watershed in the history of Hollywood. It was the year when sort of the new Hollywood and the old Hollywood sort of actually passed each other going in the opposite direction. And in fact, Mark Harris, who is Tony Kushner's husband, wrote a fabulous book about that particular year in in American film called Pictures at a Revolution, which is a fabulous You recommended book. that for me, Jim, and I love that book. It's fantastic. I love that book. And do you know that I got to meet Mark Harris because he and Tony Kushner were there at the same night. We went to go see Philip Seymour Hoffman in Death of a Salesman uh, before, obviously before a tragic ending for Philip Seymour Hoffman, which also I think might have been the last play Mike Nichols directed on Broadway, that version of Street Co- uh, of uh, Death of a Salesman. And Tony Kushner and Mark Harris were in the audience, and so afterwards we were standing outside, and and uh, and of course you know Tony Kushner and a bunch of the people we were with were saying talking to Tony Kushner. I of course wanted to talk to Mark Harris more than anything else because I loved his book, and it resonated with me so much because it was my first Oscars. But I will tell you also, I can't believe it was your first Oscars. That That's being new information the nerd that I that I still am. But I was even at 11 years old. After seeing those Oscars, I then wanted to know everything about the Oscars. And I wanted to be able to predict – because I had no idea. I had not seen any of these movies. I didn't know. I would heard the names. But I wanted to be able to predict who was going to win the Oscars next year. So, And this, of course, is in 1968, mind you. There's no internet the coverage of the film and television industry is not anywhere where it is like today. There is no People magazine. You know, I didn't have access to Variety because, you know, my family didn't get to have a subscription to Variety. So I somehow 
learned the following information in 1968. I learned that the Directors Guild of America had started giving out a Best Director Award about 20 years previously, and that every year the person who won the the Directors Guild of America Award also won the Oscar for Best Picture. It had never failed over that 20-year period. And I also learned that only twice since 1952, at that point, had the person had the, the the person who won Best Director that film was also the Best Picture. So there were only two times where the Best Director was different from the Best Picture in that period of time. So then I found out. Somehow, I have no idea how I found this out. I read somewhere that the director of Lion in Winter had won the Director's Guild Award. So I am now 12 years old telling everyone, director's going to be this guy who directed Lion in Winter, and Lion in Winter's going to be the best picture because I've done all this research and I know all this. And then, of course, for the first time in history, the winner of the Director's Guild Award did not win the Best Directing Oscar. And... Uh, the, it didn't win the best picture, and either. that was the so, beginning of a long so career in doing poor research. in poor forecasting. So, but yes. wait, Jim. So that let was me ask the you beginning of my my well, career. Is let me Oscar let me ask you a question, Jim, because I think something that will be of interest to our audience is a facet of our relationship, which is I often tell this anecdote, and it's entirely untrue, but I tell it so I get to make up the make up what I'm saying. But it's that what it's that I have a friend, Jim Gentili, who when who actually acts as my stand in memory often and when I don't remember what I was doing at a certain date and time up to any time after when we met I can ask him I can say Jim what was I doing on like the third Saturday in July in you know 1994 and if Jim doesn't know he can usually deduce what I was doing based on the information he does have available to him and he can and and pull it out so I guess I'm I guess my question is because I think I think that's it's a it's definitely a key facet of what I know of you as a person is what do you actually remember of that first Oscars show. All right, here's what I remember, that Bob Hope was the host, as it was very common, because in the 50s, 60s, and in through the 70s, Bob Hope was very often the MC. I do remember that the broadcast of that show, for one of only two times in the history of the Oscars, was postponed. It was originally scheduled for Monday night. It was postponed for three days because it was the Monday after Martin Luther King was assessed. Wow. So it was pe- actually postponed to the following Thursday. The only other time the Oscars was postponed is in is in 2000. I'm sorry, in 1981, where it was scheduled to be the Monday night where Ronald Reagan was shot, and so it was postponed to the following night. I can tell you that the very first joke that Bob Hope told, because it was Easter pe- uh, Easter season, Bob Hope says, welcome to the Oscars, or as it's known at my house, Passover. Oh, that was the I've very that first joke. joke I ever heard on an Oscar daily. Yeah, that's a pretty famous line of Bob Hope's. Bob Hope has hosted the Oscars, by the way, more than anyone else in history. Like He hosted it repeatedly throughout the 50s, 60s, and 70s. The last year Bob Hope hosted it, Curious enough, was exactly 10 years later, 1978, and it did not go well. At that point, Bob Hope was about 75 years old, and it just did not go well. It was he had, you know, it was one of those things where he had maybe stayed a year too long rather than left a year too early on that gig. But when, uh, when did they move the Academy Awards to Sunday? Uh, that was done, I believe, uh, in the 
80s or early 90s. I will tell you that that typical of this is the Academy Awards started as a way for people in the industry to honor themselves. It was also, in the early days of it, it was a anti-union move. It was an attempt. It was a the academy was started as in opposition to the guilds, which were uh-huh. of course union efforts. So it was uh, that was part of it. Now, subsequently, that stuff was eventually they, they reached a detente with the the guilds and uh, and and that uh, sort of fell out of favor in the nineteen fifties. The first, I believe, the first time they the Oscars was ever telecast was I believe nineteen fifty. Jim, what year was Marty uh, Best Picture? 1955, which means it was the Oscars in the spring of 1956. You're thinking of the line from Quiz Show, right? Yeah, exactly, because I was a big fan of that movie. Uh, Marty was one of the famous upset winners that was not expected to win, but turned out to win. Well, when I say I was a big fan of that movie, I mean I mean uh, quiz, quiz show. show. I don't think I've, I've never seen Marty. I'm a big fan of Quiz Marty. Show, and also you should see Marty. But here's another yeah, interesting Charlie thing. Charlie fucking Van Doren. Who's he? Let's just uh, Can I tell get you another straight. story? Yeah, the, he's the real-life person who was the son of Mark Van Doren, who was a uh, success on the quiz show 21, but it tur- turned out, as we found out subsequently and we found out in the movie, that was rigged. That game show, like some other game shows in the 1950s, was oh, right. rigged. They were giving certain contestants the answers. But anyway, let me tell you another interesting thing about the movie Marty. It won the Academy Award in 1955. It had been a television, a live television drama a few years before that. So it actually started out, it was first produced as a drama for television and then made into a movie. Interesting, huh? I don't understand how. So they that year. What I'm trying to. It feels like television and movies back then were apples and oranges. So that is really surprising. Today I'd be less surprised by it because they're just brands, right? Because especially because well, especially because in the early years of television, the film studios, the major film studios, wanted nothing to do with television because they saw it as a threat in some respects correctly, as a mm-hmm. threat to their existence. And the real breakthrough came in 1955 when Disney made a deal with ABC, which was related to ABC helping to finance Disneyland and the start of what became, you know, Walt Disney Presents, the Sunday night show first on ABC and then on NBC for many, many years. And then Warner Brothers went into television in a big way, again in connection with ABC, and produced a whole series of westerns and private eye shows throughout the late 50s and early 60s, and then eventually all of the network. And what subsequently happened, of course, is that those studios realized that by selling products to television, yes, they were going to be making fewer movies, but they were going to make a lot of money making uh, shows and for money. television. And in some ways, probably making more money making shows for television than making a lot of making and making fewer movies. Okay, so today at my lunch at my lunch table, we were talking about the movies that are nominated this year and how many people had seen what and whatnot. And one of my coworkers, who's sixty three years old, said, "Do you really think any of those movies are?" Academy Award winning movies at this point. And she was clearly saying no. 
And uh, somebody said, well, it's not about the story. It's about the whole picture. It's about the cinematography, the this, the that, the that. And she said, no, that's why there's separate awards for all that. These stories are not interesting. None of these movies are that compelling or that interesting. What is it about it? What it what makes it a best picture? Jim, you're first. Well, it get it got the most votes. That's what makes it the best picture. I would say this. Uh I think that most people who are, you know, serious students of film and most people who are dilettantes like myself would say that very rarely does the picture that wins the best picture Oscar is actually the best picture of the year. It's very rare that those two actually coincide. Say that again? What two things coincide? don't coincide? It's very rare. The, the picture that wins the best picture Oscar is not, in fact, especially with the, the judgment of history, uh. is not, in fact, usually the best picture of the year. For example, in 1941, the best picture, and it's a fine film, was a movie directed by John Ford called How Green Was My Valley. It's a fine film, a very traditional, broad, historical drama. Uh, but I think most people who are fans of film would, and most serious students of film would agree that the best picture of 1941 was the movie Citizen Kane by Orson Welles. Another example is that in 1990, the best picture was the terrible Kevin Costner-directed flick, Mm -hmm. Dances with Mm -hmm. Wolves. That was the best picture. Kevin Costner's never won an acting Oscar, but he has won an Oscar for Best Director, if you can believe that. That's something you can probably win money in a bet with somebody. But the... I think most people I think most people would agree that the actual best movie of 1990 was a little movie by Martin Scorsese called Goodfellas. So... It's very rare that the movie that actually wins Best Picture is, in fact, the Best Picture. I'm going to chime in on that. I'm going to chime in on that because, yes, Goodfellas was such a good movie. That was the same year that Dancing with Wolves? Yep, Dances with Wolves. Okay. five pictures nominated for Best Picture that year were Dances with Wolves, Ghost, Godfather 3, Awakening. Ghost? And Goodfellas. I love your outrage. And Godfather Patty. 3 was not I love your outrage and Ghost. I mean, okay. Okay. Yeah, Ghost so, is ridiculous. Okay. I'm, I'm, listen, no argument with me. It had its fans. I don't think it was a particularly good movie. Godfather 3, I think, in some ways is probably a little bit underrated, but it's still not Goodfellas, right? Goodfellas yeah. is the is one of the seminal films, and in my opinion, it's Scorsese's masterpiece because for years we have been watching gangster movies from the 30s up through the Godfather movies, right? And Goodfellas is the ultimate deconstruction of all those films. It is the, here's what the myth is, here's the reality, and, and yet told in such a marvelously, brilliantly entertaining way so that that movie is over two hours long and it seems like it's exactly. going by in half the time because yeah, it is and such so good and my and i love it i love it when, he, when she says she's going shopping and she needs some money and he says how much money do you need and she puts like and she holds an up her inch fingers with her two inches apart yeah and right. i'm doing it right now yeah 
Is that what you do to Charlie? You tell him you need this much money to go shopping? Yeah, no, I need this much. Or an inch, or an inch and a half. It's so great. <laughs> okay, so let's go to 1990. The controversy with Driving Miss Daisy. That was in 1980. What, what were the other nominees? And okay, so the other nominees were Born on the 4th of July... Wait, how do you just know this by heart? This is okay, what I was trying well, to tell, tell you, you, Peg. This is Jim's strength. We're hitting on all pistons right now. This is like the fun thing. Because I remember this was a controversy, but I can't remember back, who uh, else was, was long nominated. Time ago. Back a long time ago, I uh, got this book. I used to do these things before the internet. I used to do things... Like I would sit, I I have a pretty good memory, or at least I did in those days. And I would sit down and memorize. Like I memorized all the nominees in the top six categories from 1946 going forward. And it would just be a kind of thing you would do. It you do it at parties, like for fun. But now, I mean, you can just look those up in like 30 seconds, right? You just took get your phone out. Wait, before you go any further, let me just say what I remember about, because I have to test my memory too, because my memory is not that great anymore. But I remember with Driving Miss Daisy, it must have been, there must have been like, I think it was a Spike Lee movie, right? Yeah, the best movie of that year was a movie by Spike Lee called Do the Right Thing, but it didn't get nominated for Best Picture. No, no, it did get nominated, but it didn't get picked. It did not get nominated for Best Picture. It did not get nominated. The other nominees were Born on the Fourth of July, My uh, Left Foot, Field of Dreams. Oh, with my boyfriend. My boyfriend, Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, he's a great actor. Maybe not. Oh, he can do no wrong. He thinks he is, but. Oh. He is Field of Dreams, another Kevin Costner special, and uh, and uh, Dead Poets Society was the other nominee. What? Yep. Peg, Peg, there's absolutely Are no sure? reason to challenge him on this. Let me just think. Can we just can we just move forward? Assuming no, there's right. no need. Look it there's up no if need. You want Let's just to. go with it. Assume it. But I do have a question. But do the right so thing. So what was the outrage a, then? What was the outrage it, with well, her the, winning, with that movie winning? Well, I mean, I don't think it was so much that that movie won as do the right thing not getting nominated. And uh, I think that, you know, look, do the right thing is a brilliant, nuanced, very, but a, very, a thought-provoking, but a very difficult movie to watch in the sense that it's not, it presents the fact that the racial divide and, the racial divide, I think is the right way to say it, is a very real thing. And it's not an easily, it's not something that's easily solved. It's not something that's easily resolved. Whereas Driving Miss Daisy is a far more palatable, you know, it's the, it's about the friendship between a black chauffeur and the white woman that he drives. And it's a nice little story and it's you know it has some good acting. Morgan Freeman is very good. Jessica Tandy is very good. Some of the supporting performances are good, but it's a far more palatable, far more middle brow sort of thing than Do the Right Thing, which is actually a searing, thought provoking, tragic, funny masterpiece. Jim. Yeah. I am doing a little fact checking right now. <laughs> Oh no, you're right, Peg. You really? <laughs> Never mind. Are we, do you want, Peg? You want to try again? Try again. Right. Don't bet against do not him on bet this against one. Me. Peg, not only do not yeah. does he have the memory. Do not, I'll tell you what. I'm at, <laughs> I'll like, tell you the truth. Can I say something about this? See, starting in 2009, 
they changed the rules, so now you have more than five Best Picture nominees. So if you were to ask me the nominees like in the last 10 years, I'm much more likely to get those wrong that I would be up to that point in time, just because. Yeah, no, once- you're right, and I hate that whole new that whole new. There shouldn't be ten movies. That's well, dumb. We should talk about that because no, it's I actually- don't. There's nothing to talk about. It's dumb. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, let me just tell you that it's actually more complicated than that because one of the things that's happened is in 2009 when they expanded the field of best picture nominees from five to a maximum of ten, but it doesn't like this year is nine and. Uh, it depends. It's a complicated formula. But they also change the way in which the best picture is selected. For every other category at the Oscars, there's a list of nominees. And if you're a member of the Academy, you vote for which one of those you think right. should get the Oscar, right? right? Yes. For best picture, since 2009, they have what they call preferential voting, where you rank the nominees so that... They aggregate the numbers. It, well, it's that. So basically, the picture that gets the most first place votes does not necessarily get the best picture award. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So interestingly enough, here are some things we can't. The Oscars have never, ever released any of the actual voting results going back to the beginning. So we don't know. So how do we so lo- feel about that? How do we well, feel about that? I mean, it would be interesting, especially for the people like me who, who in their delusions think of themselves as sort of the Nate Silver of the Oscar world. It would be interesting to have some of that data so you could look at voting. Well, before we go into that, tell me, Jim, why do you but think they made the change? Wait okay. a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Let me finish this thought. Let me finish well, the thought. Sorry. I, wait a minute. I'll talk about that. But let me talk about the data that we do know is – that since 2009, there has become a mark. Well, certainly since 2012, there has become a marked divergent. Four out of the last five years, the best picture winner has diverged from the best director winner. Okay, mm-hmm. right. Well, mm-hmm. okay. Now, which we know you take, have a history with. Wait, since 1953. From 1953 through 1997, a period of 45 years, there was only five times where that happened. Okay. Okay? One of them was the year that you predicted the in that whole period of time. Oh, that was earlier. No. 1956, George Stevens won for uh, Giant. The best picture was Around the World in 80 Days. 1967, Mike Nichols won for directing The Graduate. The best picture is In the Heat of the Night. 1972, this one will really appall you, Peg. Bob Fosse won for directing Cabaret. The best picture was The Godfather. Wow. 1981, Warren Beatty won for directing Reds. The best picture was Chariots of Fire. 1989, Oliver Stop Stone it. won for Stop it. Born on the 4th of July. The best picture was Driving Miss Daisy. 1989? Starting in 19... Yeah. Okay, so those were the five times. In 1998, there was a brief run. 1998, 2000, and 2002. Best director was different for best picture. Starting... You, you, you have a cheat sheet in front of you. And <laughs> He's not even to his point yet. No. He hasn't so even gotten to his point yet. 2005, it happened again. Okay, the point is that four out of the five years, the best director has been different from the best picture. That, you have to go way back to the beginning of the Academy to have anything like that. Here's another factor. 
the last two years, Spotlight won in 2015, Moonlight won last year. They were both big upset winners. Typically, what you have at a lot of Academy Awards is you have one picture win a lot of awards Uh, throughout the night and end up winning Best Picture. A classic example of that is Titanic, 1997. Oh, fuck Titanic. Lord of the Rings in 2003. I totally, obviously, Peggy, you and I have very similar tastes in films. Uh, Lord of the Rings in 2003, (laughs) Slumdog Millionaire in 2008. Two years ago, The Revenant was winning... Everything, including Leonardo DiCaprio for Best Actor, uh, Inaratu for Best Director. But it didn't win Best Picture. It was a huge upset. Last year, La La Land winning everything, including Best Best Director, Best Actors, didn't win Best Picture. And we famously know. The reason for that, I suspect, is preferential voting is having an effect in terms of who's winning Best Picture. Well, the way you set that up, you're suggesting it had the desired effect. No, I think it's all well, bullshit. I don't know. You're suggesting the that desi- they're trying to divide up the number of awards. No, I think that the reason they the, – the stated reason why they expanded the list of nominees and why they have preferential voting, and it goes back to the earlier question, is this. They're trying to get it. The highest-rated Oscar telecast in history – was 1998 for when Titanic won. Titanic was a hugely popular film, perhaps box office-wise. At one point, it was the most successful film in the history in terms of box office. Mm-hmm. They What they want is, what has now happened is, <laughs> Peggy just that sighed. rather than the telecast uh, being <laughs> featuring the awards, what's driving the awards, decisions about the awards, is we're trying to boost the numbers for the telecast. Yes. We're trying to get the telecast. So you're saying they're trying to build suspense? What they said what they said was no, not that trying to build suspense. They want more popular movies. The idea is they want movies like Guardians of the Galaxy and Star Wars and all these other movies to be nominated. So that's why they've expanded the field. And they want them to have a better chance of winning. But that seems to be opposite. That seems to be the opposite effect. It seems to be I just want to ask Absolutely. Okay. Well, okay, they see. are occasionally. Right, so you are, are occasionally. Okay. Can I? Can I just say? So they do all these. This is separate... really boring. This is Jim Gentilly pontificating for like. No, Jim, I'm hour, curious. But, yeah. This is interesting. No, I know, and you're clearly knowledgeable about it all. But which is so amazing that if, I know anything, Peg. Is what I if, hear is um, the undertone there. But. You know, you've got all these separate categories: director, producer, blah. Well, blah, there is no blah. producer category per se. So how how can then you just pick best picture? Is it a c- conglomeration of producer, director? Why? What is it? Because I think when uh, just a regular person who's not as knowledgeable about filmmaking looks at the lists of things, they just go with what they like, right? So the people at my lunch table today were like, hmm, these movies aren't, these stories aren't super compelling, so far, I haven't seen anything that's be- best picture worthy. And I said, well, I don't think it's based on what you like. Well, there's a certain amount of stupidity in that statement purely because best picture necessarily means the best picture relative to the pictures that were released that year. So you can't say that none of the pictures released that year are worthy of best picture since it's by definition 
one of the pictures that was released in the year. So if they're wow. if they're saying none of the movies this year, then okay. they're obviously comparing movies to other years, which defeats the purpose because it's not a lifetime achievement award; it's an annual okay. competition. Peg, and, Peg, and they haven't seen them all. Peg, I would say this. I would say this. First of all, there tends to be, as in so many other things in life, the view that everything used to be better. That movies used to be better, baseball used to be better, sex used politics. to be better, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, politics used to be better. Everything used to be better. So there's that. I think there's that bias, right? And part of that is because maybe not true about politics so much is that Bill James, the baseball writer, once talked about baseball that people, when they fall in love with baseball, say when they're in their teens or when they're younger or whatever. Baseball is played a certain way, and then baseball evolves, right? But the game you fell in love with is the game as it was played when you first fell in love with it. And for you, or for a lot of people in that situation, it's never as good as it was when you first fell in love with it. It's sort of like the theory that there's no love like your first love. You know, when you first, when when you were younger, or in some people's cases, when they were we younger and they this, first Jim. started movies, those, those movies are... The you know nothing can compare to those. That's movies. for sure true. I think we know this is true. We there's I data showing that now, right? I mean, we talk about. Wait a minute. Let me let me okay. let me finish. The, the let me finish. Clear. I have some more things yes. to say. Well, all and your, I have just trying to break up your, uh, about your monologue, what makes buddy. a good movie. <laughs> well, what makes a good movie? Yes, what makes there's a good a movie? There's a terrific book by the woman who is the film critic, chief film critic for the Washington Post, called Anne Hornaday. I read this book. I find myself frequently disagreeing with her judgments about individual movies. I'd say probably we disagree more often than not. But the book she wrote called Talking Pictures by Anne Hornaday, subtitle How to Watch Movies, I think is a very, very fine explanation. And she talks about the different elements that go in to make a film. Some that you see are very clear on the screen, like the acting, some like the editing and the cinematography are more subtle, but all of those elements ultimately go in to make a picture and make it important. But if you're asking me, and I think Anna Hordaday would agree with this and whether she agrees with it or not, I think it's true. The single most important element that makes a good film is you have to have a good story. Because if you don't have a good story... All those other elements, good acting, good cinematography, good directing, good editing, are just in service of a poor story, are not going to make – at least you're not going to have a truly Can great Can I ask film. a question? I will say one other – wait a minute. I have one more thing. No, I, I, I have something to say it. too. I want to ask a question. All right, Peg, you go first. I well, I want to jump to 1994. Well, no, wait, but wait, I, I, I want to – can we stick with movie. the thread of the conversation for a second? I just want to stick with the thread. Yeah. The, the, that analysis, okay. the Anne Hornaday analysis of that there's an objective way of deciding what is the best picture, the question that Peggy asked, it's – No, that's not what I said. I said she talks about how all the different parts that Fine. go So there's some kind of analysis picture. that can be done that transcends the, the, the annual – maybe reality of the world in which the picture was raised. That's my question, Jim, is does she allow for the fact that something like Dances with Wolves was popular because of the political context of the year in which it was released? Well, she doesn't discuss that. She's not talking about the film isn't about awards per se. I don't think there's any question that we would have to agree that the times, the context in which we live. I think that if I'm making a prediction that I think the the best picture this year is going to be won by three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. I don't think that was the best picture of the year. I think it is a good picture. I think there are some 
flaws in it, in my opinion. I think it it's it's not only a good picture, it also happens to be in many respects a Correct. timely picture. I agree. Now, so so some of that, you, there's no question. Look, the best I think analogy to what the Oscars are like because it's a it's a relatively small community is it's like a high school election. You know, it's who happens to sure. be popular? And there's a lot of different reasons you win the high school election, not necessarily because you're the best person to run the student government. Some of it is sympathy. Some of it is popularity. Some of it is this guy has never won. Some of it is, you know, blah, blah, blah. So it's not that people sit down and don't think about what the best picture is. It's that there's a lot of different ways to look at it. And look, any of this you'd have to are you'd have to admit that there is inherent amount of subjectivity in any of these judgments. Go ahead, Peg. Well, I don't even know what to say after all that. Because <laughs> I, so I'm looking at 1994, and I'm, I'm Forrest Gump won Best Picture. Yep. yep. I terrible. hate that stupid movie. It's a terrible movie. Peg, you and I are like right simpatico, and you and I should do – we would do Ebert and Siskel, except we would always agree. Apparently, so that yeah, might not be. Yeah, I mean, that I don't. I don't know if we'd always agree, but I thought but Forrest Gump was a lot dumb. So I, far. And everybody just loved it because it's whatever the special needs guy who gets ahead and blah gross. But I don't think that's why they loved it. I don't. What think else that's why is they there that? I think in a light most favorable, so, in a yeah, light why most, did they seeing love it? the light most favorable to people who liked Forrest Gump, I would say the thing that it offered that hadn't been offered before that resonated with people was this reflection on history. It's, it, quite frankly, it's kind of the thing that Jim's talking about, that people love the past and that it was this kind of history lesson told through the yeah, told through a was, sympathetic vo- lens. It was a candy-colored yeah, view. That's what it was. Of of the recent history of the United States. It was candy-colored. It certainly captured some, for whatever reason, it captured the zeitgeist yep. at the moment. It was a, it was a very positive yes. and optimistic film, yes. ultimately. And people it love it. Simple-minded and, and, to a It was more simple-minded than the protagonist of the movie. You know, yeah, it I mean, was, it was, if you were, it was a movie for people that didn't want, that didn't want to use their right. brains. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, but then if you jump to one of the other nominees that year, it was Four Weddings at a Funeral. And other people I, might say that was for people who no, didn't No, I think Four Weddings at a Funeral is actually a very good Love movie. Love that movie. Oh, I think it's a fantastic movie. Of the movie. movies nominated that year, I don't think any of those was the best picture of the year. But of the movies nominated, if I were voting, I probably would have voted for Quiz Show. Yeah, Quiz Show was so good. Well, then you can even jump to 1995. Braveheart hated it. Yeah, I <laughs> Jim, I have a question it. for you. <laughs> Jim, Jim, I have we a question are. for you. So, we Jim, are I want like to I, I, I go back to you. What? Let's go to L.A. together. Jim, I want to go back to what you and, and stay okay. through the credits. Jim, what I want to ask you is this. I want to ask you, based on what you said earlier about the, 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 the division between. See, I feel like I'm the guest well, That was the on intention, I thought, but podcast. that's okay. You don't have to be. That was, I Perfect. thought, the intention, Perfect. but we don't have to do it that way. Whatever you want. I didn't think that was the intention, but. Well, that's what I was shooting for. But here's my question. My question is, you were saying earlier that there's a distinction or that there was at one time. And I might be getting this wrong, so correct me. But it was that the best director often and best picture. There was a relationship, almost okay. always. The and same. that is, and 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 oh, I and I, I, I from, and, and yeah. I would say that in the last 
five years, 10 years, I don't know. Time is becoming, time is contracting. But in some period of time in the recent past, I have begun to notice directors and and give a lot more credit to directors for the films that I like than in the past. In other words, I'll go to a film now, and I actually— So you're moving opposite to the way the— And that's what I'm asking. What I'm asking is, is that something that is maybe—is the pend- is it a pendulum, and is it swinging back, or is it just me and maybe getting older and wiser? Uh, no, I think it's swinging—it's clearly swinging the other direction. Here's—I here's, would say, that, again, some of this is speculative— for the first 25 years of the Oscars, from 1928 through 1952, the best director and the best picture only coincided 13 out of 25. So it was about half the time. So clearly, the best director was always – direction was always considered to be crucial. But I think that in those days, in the days, the true Hollywood studio days – the producer of the film was often considered to be the key person for putting a film together. What changed that? Well, the French, uh, the famous French criticism, film criticism school after World New War wave? II developed the auteur uh. theory that the director was the author mm. of the film, uh, of which Andrew Saris, the longtime critic for The Village Voice, was the chief American proponent. And However much that is operated on an intellectual plane, for many, many years when I was growing up, that was the default position was you identified the film by the director. The director was the key person. We used to talk about going to see a Robert right. Altman film or right. a Woody Allen film or a uh, you know a Francis Coppola film or a Sidney Lumet film or various other p- – and the director was for many, many years. What has happened is that has broken down. Why has it broken down? Well, for one reason is that you have an increased sort of mass production of films. The studios have taken over. A lot of films now are series. They're sequels. They're part of a, 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 a mass production by the studio where they essentially rent a director. Like each, each different uh, episode of it is directed by a different person. And to some extent, that started with George Lucas because he directed the first three. No, he directed the first Star Wars, but he didn't direct any of the others until the second cycle back, you know, 20 years later. Of the first three Star Wars movies, he was the executive producer. He was clearly the force behind it, but he only directed the first So one. Irving Kirshner directed The Empire Strikes Back. John Marquand directed The Return of the Jedi. So to some extent, there are exceptions. Right. You have your Clint Eastwoods. You have your Martin Scorsese's. You have your Steven Soderbergh's. You have your Spike Lee's. Paul Thomas you have Anderson, your, Guillermo del Toro, Steven Spielberg. Yeah, a few, a few of those guys out there. Chris but Nolan. But by and large, the, direct, the role of the director has lessened in terms of being the sole. Okay, force so let's move to this. Well, well so given That's that we're talking about, well, let's let's transition to this year's Oscars because I'm curious about where uh, what 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 we uh, what we think. I've actually not seen. I've only seen Dunkirk, um, Three Billboards, and Call Me by Your Name. Uh, I assume Peggy's seen the film with her favorite actor, uh, Daniel Day Lewis, Phantom Thread, and I'm no, I have not, not yet. Uh, the, not yet. And I'll not be honest, yet. the one I that I want to it. see. Oh, you haven't seen it. Oh, and the one that I want to see is Get Out, and haven't. If if you were to ask me just which one has resonance within my like network of people and what I'm hearing, I should see it's Get Out. And I'll be honest, I didn't see it. Go see Get Out, although I had the opportunity twice. 
I didn't go see it because of the trailer, and I thought it was a horror film, and I just I, I don't like movies that scare me. It, it is. is a horror. Okay, it is kind so of a horror I don't know film. that I'd like it. But it's yeah. also social commentary, right. and so... it's also funny. So it's a it's a it's a okay. cross genre film. It's yeah. I think it's good movie. I think it's uh, being freighted with a little more significance than it can really carry. I'm certainly happy to see more diverse people represented in as nominees in various categories. I don't think Get Out is a brilliant, you know, it's not do the right thing or something like that. It's a, it's a pretty good movie. I would say, in my opinion, of all the movies I've seen, and I've seen pretty much most of them, not all of them, I think Dunkirk was actually the best movie of the year, and it is nominated. I don't think it has a chance of winning. I, it won't I would win. say this. I would say this to your friends who don't like Dunkirk is in most respects a very old fashioned, big, you know, big widescreen traditional movie. It's the kind of movie that in many years would win the Oscar for Best Picture. I just don't think it's going to win this year because I don't think so that's the movie. Jim, I agree about Dunkirk. We had some visitors here, Gwen, who we want to be on the podcast about the butter shortage the butter, in France. The butter shortage in France. We rented it. Nobody wanted to see it. Instead, we went to see Great at the uh, the Darkest Hour. And when they all left, I went down in the basement. I watched Dunkirk. The next day, I went to my second job working my with my ALS patient. And uh, Charlie watched Dunkirk. He and I had totally different opinions about it. I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was riveting and quiet and intellectual. He was like, mm, I had a hard time paying attention. <laughs> I think it was a fabulous movie. I don't Peg, think it's I think win. it's interesting that you watched it on the small screen and liked it because I think I mentioned on an earlier podcast, and I'll just reiterate, it was I watched it with Ted, my husband, and we watched it on a computer screen because it was right when we got to, to China. And I'm... And I actually fell asleep for a few moments of it. And I actually am convinced that the reason I didn't like it, I didn't not like it, but the reason I didn't love it, and I could tell I like, I thought I would love it and I loved the quiet, but I knew that the reason I didn't love it was because I didn't see it in a theater on a big screen. I could tell what Jim is saying, which was that it's built for that. And I, and I will say this, John, and I, I know we tease you and we kid you about this, and I, but I'm being serious, and, I don't, and this is not meant as a criticism. You more so than other people, and again, this is not a criticism, are more sensitive to those kinds of presentational things. Like, you're very much more sensitive to the quality of sound and that sort of thing, and I think that I think that it probably made more of a difference for mm-hmm. you, and for there are other people like you who seen it on a big screen versus... Uh, first of all, you know, any movie I'd rather see on a big screen Given. than a small Agreed. screen. Agreed. I mean, that's just my default setting. But... But I think yeah, you're I'm more sure I am. I'm sure I am. to that than some other No, no, no. I hear are. you. Not, and again, I don't mean that at yeah, all. Yeah, but I mean, I think, but I think there's no question that there's something industry-wide happening there, too, that's worth talking about, which is directors have to be thinking, I'm making this movie, but maybe there's a chance that if it's not incredibly successful, the majority of money that I'm going to make is not going to be on a big screen, but on little phones and on televisions that aren't that big. And that has to affect, and I know sure. I've heard, I think I've read sure. Woody Allen talking about that in some article somewhere, but I'm fairly certain they, they have to be thinking that. So right. I'm, 
I'm, you know, I, I it, it raises for me the question of what, you know, what is the impact of that? And what is the impact of that in terms of winning Best Picture? Will is part of the reason that Dunkirk won't win because the majority of people who watched it didn't watch it on a big screen. It's not going to win. It will not win. No, I think, no. I, yeah, I don't it's not going to win. Because first of all, the Oscar voters are in a separate category. Anybody who wants to see that movie in a theater, if you're an Oscar voter, you can be arranged. I suspect a lot of them, because the Oscar voters skew a little bit older than average, see most of these movies on screeners anyway and have for years. I think that the reason it won't win is simply because it's not the mood right now. That kind of a traditional, fairly old-fashioned film is not the mood right now. The mood is either going to be some kind of movie that attempts to deal with the anger and the and that's going on which is three billboards or it's a movie that's a fable that's a that's a fairy tale which i think is a piece of crap called the shape of water oh so jim have you seen everything Uh, the only thing that i haven't seen among the big six categories actor actress supporting actor supporting actress director and picture is i have not seen denzel washington's performance in roman j israel I guess I have to see it. I so you've seen don't have high. So you've hopes seen Lady Bird. I have seen Lady Bird. I like Lady Bird a lot. I don't think it was good as The Big Sick or Dunkirk or In the Fade or, uh, for that matter, a movie that I actually saw on the small screen, which is First They Killed My Father, which is the Angela Lena Jolie movie made about the Khmer Rouge and about one family dealing with being exiled by the Khmer internally exiled by the Khmer Rouge. How'd you like the post? I thought the post was okay. I thought it was pretty good. I thought Meryl Streep was brilliant in that movie. I think that Meryl Streep is obviously the great actor of our time, the great screen actor certainly of our time. And I think though that she gets way too much attention for the roles where she does a big accent or she has some sort of showy. And I'm not saying she's bad or in those, but I thought where she's playing a, a woman, Catherine Graham, a real person, and a very nuanced, very subtle performance. And that movie is really about Catherine Graham, who, whose father owned The Post, who his fa- when, it, when her father was ready to retire, gave the paper to his son-in-law, not his daughter, which was, you know, again, not unusual for the time. We're talking about the early 50s. Her husband, Phil Graham, was a brilliant guy. That's an interesting life story right there. Absolutely brilliant guy, a mover and shaker, a friend to LBJ, a friend to JFK, Hmm. uh, who was also manic depressive and who during the last part of his life was running around in an open affair with a young Newsweek staffer and planning to divorce Catherine Graham before he committed suicide. She took over the paper. She was in her mid-40s in 1963. She took over the paper. She She had no training. She was considered to be a figurehead because she was a woman. And the... The, the real story of the Post is not the second. The Pentagon Papers are the fulcrum of it. But the real story is her finding her voice to run that paper, that making that job of being the publisher her job, overcoming the largely male voices telling her not to do this, not to run the risk 
of publishing these papers. That's really the story of that movie. And in fact, it's based on one of the chapters from her autobiography. And I think Meryl Streep's performance in that is brilliant. So is it is it about the story or is it about the movie making? It's about all of those things. It's all of those things. But if you but if you don't have a good story, you're never going to have a great film. But you, you can't can base the movie. Film, but you, can. you can't base the quality of the movie on how good the story is because there are a lot of good stories. Right. Well, there aren't as many as you might think. But but also, if you have a good story, you can still botch it up by having bad acting or bad directing or bad technical approach but if you don't have i my position is you can have a good movie without a really good story but you can't have a great movie without a really good story. sure so if you look at 2000 where they do crouching tiger hidden dragon nominated as the best film and there's all that weird anti-gravity you know yeah, climbing yeah. on walls stuff like that to me i'm like that can't be nominated as the best picture. I did but. not think any of the movies that were nominated in 2000. Crouching Tiger, Traffic, Aaron Brockovich, Gladiator. and Gladiator. I didn't think any of those movies was good. It was a bad year. I wouldn't give a thumbs up to any of those movies. Well, it was a bad year for Academy Award nominees. My opinion, the two best movies that year were almost famous. The Cameron Crowe sort of autobiographical biographical. Uh, story about him as a teenage writer for Rolling Stone magazine and Wonder Boys makes on the Michael Chabon book about a uh, about a, a writing professor and uh, his sort of midlife crisis. Those were the two best movies of 2000 as far as I'm concerned. Okay, and so we c- can we jump to 2003? Seabiscuit <laughs> for real? That was the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> No, we've already named some movies worse than that, but it wasn't a very good movie. And one of the best books I've ever read. So let's just stick to books, people. was a better book than a movie. Yeah, fantastic. Part of the reason is that they took out... There was a classic example where you you can't obviously take a 300-page book and fully express it in a two-hour movie. So what they took out was all the nuance and intelligence and left the the, the Jim, I have a question tale. for you. So, Jim, yeah. I, yeah, I have a question for you, Jim. So, uh, so John, are you still here? Um, and actually, I have a question for you as well, Peg, but let me start with Jim. Jim, since 2009, since the Academy changed its rules for Best Picture, may, it sounds to me like there – it. That what you have thought was best picture didn't really track with what the Academy came up with. I'm curious if there's another category like best director or something else that does track with what you considered since 2009 to be best picture. I, I, I thought the, I thought the best picture of 2009 was the hurt locker and that won the Academy award. I'm always pleasantly surprised whenever what I think is the best picture of the year actually gets, even gets nominated for best picture like done. So you liked hurt locker. I did. I liked it. I did too. I thought it was great. <laughs> See, Peg and I should go to the movies together. But generally right. speaking, Jim, director, best director, best actor, best actress. No, although, um, and is I, there I a didn't. Best screenplay, best original. I'm curious if a different category of award tracks has been tracking since '09 with kind of what you with with overall where you've been thinking best picture. Not no, I don't think so. I, I will tell you that sometimes there are certain things 
that I find interesting. For example, I'm going to be looking very carefully this year at the Best Cinematography Award. I did not think Mudbound was a particularly good picture. I think it's an ambitious picture. I applaud its ambition. I don't think it succeeded. It is a beautifully shot film, and for the first time in the 90 years of the Academy Awards, a woman has been nominated for Best Cinematography for the movie Mudbound. I think it'll be interesting to see, and I wouldn't be surprised if she won the Best Cinematography Award because it's a way for them to pay some homage to Mudbound and also to break another barrier which long since should have been broken. Peg, my question for you is, what, what, I don't understand what, exactly what you're saying when you're saying that there are, like, I guess what I heard you saying was that there's an excess of great stories out there. So something else goes into making a great picture because there's like somehow easy access to great stories. So the story is obviously not that important. Is that what I, is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. I think it's the opposite. I'm not exactly sure what I'm saying, but I'm kind of saying, how do you pick a best movie? Is it about the story? So I'm looking at the, I, I've got, I pulled up a list while we're talking in 19, 19- 85, Out of Africa, The Color Purple, The Kiss of the Spider Woman, Pritzi's Honor, Witness. I loved Out of Africa. I would pick it because I loved it, right? That is where I'm going to part company with you. I was not a fan of Out of Africa. I loved it. I thought it was an amazing movie. It was beautiful. I'm going to have to part company with you, my dear, on that one. That's all right. That's fine. But that's what I'm saying. It's about like, is it... so? 86, Platoon, Children of a Lesser God, Hannah and Her Sisters, The Mission, A Room with a View. I loved Children of a Lesser God. I loved the story. I loved everything about it. I would have picked that. But I don't feel like I'm qualified to pick all the other stuff that goes into making Platoon the choice. Well, you certainly could. You certainly are as qualified as anybody to pick the best actors. So is it so is it just the like is it everything? Do you have to pick actor, cinematography, music, sure. blah blah blah, and that's what makes the no, I mean, best I think picture. All of those things come into play, but some of the elements are more important than others. I guess I would. Say. It's not just about the story. No, it's not just right. About like eighty three terms of endearment, big the big chill, the dresser, the right stuff, tender right. mercies. Okay, so terms of endearment yeah. was the winner. Yes. Providing it. See, Peggy's got the list now to preempt me from saying what they are from memory. Yeah, I mean, look at E.T. is in 1982. E.T., if you look at E.T. now, it sucks. It's not that great of a movie. You don't think E.T.'s good? Well, I mean, I don't know. Well, Peg, you're mixing apples and oranges here a little bit, right? I mean, are we talking about, like, in the the arc of history, the best picture? Or are we talking about, in the context of the year in which the movie was released, the best picture? Yeah, in the year. If you compare E.T. to Gandhi, Missing, Tootsie, and The Verdict. I I think that of those movies, I would say the best movie of those five was Tootsie. In my opinion. Was what? Tootsie. Tootsie? Yeah. Of those five, yeah. Yeah, so Gandhi think... was the winner. Right. I think Gandhi is overblown baloney. Right. They pick stuff about, they pick peop- They pick the story, right? Right. How about Ordinary People versus Raging Bull? Oh, fan- Ordinary People was fantastic. I, I'm, I think over, Raging Bull is overrated. I agree. Uh, I think Ordinary People is actually underrated. 
I the best movie of 1980 was, in my opinion, was an Australian film called My Brilliant Career by Gillian Armstrong. Okay, so the, it didn't uh, make the cut. It, that was a very early role for the actress Judy Davis. What was Judy Davis in? Judy Davis is in a lot of stuff now. You know, she's now you know 30, 40 years older, but. I don't know. I just, just feel like up. when people look see movies, on they think about what they like. By the way, I just want you to know that I went back and checked from – I checked every 10 years starting in 1937 <laughs> up through the okay. 2017. And in all those years of the top five box office films, the most that was ever nominated for Best Picture – was two of the top five box office films. That was in 37, 47, 57. So I didn't check every year, but I did check that. So the idea that re- there's some there's a myth that, that in the old days, really popular films coincided with the best films, and that's sort of the idea. Why can't we get back to the films people really want to see are the ones right. that win the Oscar so, rather than uh, the Oscars? Fair enough. So let me ask you two, never as really we're nearing true. closing, let that's me ask you two uh, predictions thing. for the Oscars. And this, this could be which movie you think is going to win, or it could just be a prediction about something that's going to happen during the broadcast, like another, uh, like another screw-up of announcement of the winner, or maybe it's going to be a political statement or a speech by a particular actor that's going to be compelling – or some other technical snafu or, I don't know, political statement or whatever it is. But I'd love to hear a prediction from each of you. Oh, me first. Um, I think there's not going to be a screw-up in the announcements. I think they're going to get it all straight. Um, I think they're going to go with... I think they're going to go with Get Out Got it. Okay. as Best Jim. Picture. Sounds good. Jim? I'm going to say that Three Billboards wins Best Picture... Benicio Del Toro wins Best Director for Shape of Water. The acting winners are going to be Gary Oldman for Best Actor, Frances McDormand for Best Actress, Sam Rockwell for Best Supporting Actor, and Allison Janney for Best Supporting Actress. And I predict that by halfway through Jimmy Kimmel hosting again, I wish they had brought Bob Hope back from the dead to host this So, what about you, John? Um, I I think I agree with you that I think Get Out's going to win just because, I, and I, this is based purely on like buzz that I hear, and so it has absolutely no bearing to anything other than that. I loved, uh, you know, I, as the gay voice on the show, I guess I feel obliged to say something about Call Me by Your Name, and I I loved it. I think it's you know I, I don't know I mean what I loved about it. I don't know if I would call it a best picture in Hollywood. It's, it's a like good this movie. little I thing. It's, it's just, not, it kind of freaks me out that it even flaws, got um, nominated. Good. And I guess I love it in a way. And I kind of see what's going on with why maybe in terms of this being a moment for the LGBT community. But at the same time, I, you know, I loved it. I thought it was, it, it was very well done. I don't know that I think it was, I, I don't know. Was it wasn't somehow the image I have of best picture in my head. It doesn't really match. Whereas maybe, and Jim, based on what you said about Dunkirk, it's strange, but that actually resonates a little bit more with what I think a best picture might be like if, in fact, I had liked it and seen it on the big screen, but I don't know. What do you guys think about um, Daniel Day-Lewis's supposed my last movie, Phantom Thread thing? Yeah, I think it's great. He'll be there to see Gary Oldman finally win the Oscar. So you don't think that'll have any effect on his... I think Gary Oldman is virtually a shoe-in. I think he and Francis McDormand are going to win both those without any real competition. So that won't help him. 
I would say that is a much more, I feel much more confident about those two categories and Allison Janney winning for Best Supporting Actress than I do about Best Picture or Best Director. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call it there, unless anybody has any closing remarks. Hooray for Hollywood. Yay for Hollywood. Let me say we'd like to, um, uh, we'd, we'd like to thank our, our editor and engineer today, Mary Heinz, who's, as always, working in the background to make sure that this actually happens. Uh, if, you'd like, if you like the podcast and would like to rate us on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate it because the more ratings we get, the better people, the more easily people can find us. And that's what we're shooting for. You can also find us on our website anytime. Uh, it's www.twoguysinsearchofanargument.com where you can also leave a comment. You can also find us on Twitter, Google+, Facebook, all the places you might expect to find us. Um, I'm John Heinz, and uh, as we've mentioned before, we welcome your mail. Uh, in fact, if you read, if you give us something good, we'll probably read it on the podcast. Uh, also, we're always looking for new guests, new show ideas, yeah, corrections, complaints, guest, and compliments. So, in. if you want to be a guest, we want you. Uh, if you have any of those, feel free to contact us any way you can. And you can tweet us, you know, whatever. Get a hold of us any one of a million ways, including just calling us on the phone. You can't um, tweet me, but and uh, you. Yeah, you can't tweet. You're not on Twitter at all, Peg? No, I'm not. Really? Zero. You never go on Twitter. Zero. Jim, do you go 0. on Twitter? 0. No. Never. I have it on my phone, but I never go on it. Interesting. Wow. Uh, there's, and there's, I there's don't have an Instagram account. Instagram account, but Okay. But you're on Facebook. I am on but Facebook. But she is on Tinder, right? No. No, I'm not. Yeah. Not Tinder, it's the other one. Jim. Instagram. Well, okay, thanks for so joining, guys. Join us again in two weeks. Join us again in two Thursdays for Lady more fun. Bird. Thanks. Oh, and good. Peggy's going to go see Lady I'm Bird. I'm going nice. to Lady Bird tomorrow. Damn it. Cool. Okay, awesome. bye. Awesome. All right, we'll talk soon. Damn it. Thank you. Thank you.